The Muppet Show won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Night, Night of, of the, the Comet. Comet, not comment. No, Night of the Comet. Yes. There were no comments in 1984. Night of the Comment is the movie they're working on about Elon Musk buying Twitter. Okay, all right. Take yourself back to 1984. February 7th, astronauts Bruce McCandless II and Robert L. Stewart make the first untethered spacewalk. Yeah, it wasn't even on purpose either. Somebody just cut the cord and they just went, third guy. Walking right (laughs) off to the moon, baby. Bye, guys. (laughs) <laughs> April 24th, an X-Class, uh, X-13 uh, to be specific, solar flare erupts on the sun, the seventh largest solar flare ever recorded. Yeah, man. Uh, the largest is uh, an X-28+. Plus. We, it, didn't have, we didn't have any internet for it to mess up. Uh, no, but it did ruin uh, radio for like a day. I remember that. Yeah. Couldn't listen to my hits. Yeah. Yeah, the biggest was recorded in 2001, and it was so big that it was literally their... Uh, machines or instruments were not big enough to record it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really do anything. I mean, it. yeah, anyway. <clears throat> Solar it, flares. It's hot, man. If you didn't realize it wasn't happening, then it, you wouldn't realize it was yeah, happening. Yeah, it's not yeah. a problem until it is. It's true. <laughs> Fits for our month. <laughs> yeah. October 11th, aboard the Space Shuttle Challenger, astronaut Catherine D. Sullivan becomes the first American woman to perform a spacewalk. Was it tethered or untethered? I believe it was tethered because I think she later, like six months later, became the first woman, American woman, to do untethered. Mm. Or in fact, the, I think the first woman in the world. To Wouldn't let her off the leash for the first walk, huh? Pretty sexist, well, I NASA. can't imagine... Pretty sexist. You go skydiving, you should jump with a trained professional first. Not if you do all the lessons. No, you should still jump no, with a trained baby. professional I'm going to do it without a parachute yes. first. They're going to spend billions of dollars sending you into space and just go, yeah, go, fine, you're good. Hey, trust, man. All right. got to trust your snots. That's what I call astronauts, snots. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thank God it's the last time we'll talk about snots in the podcast. Ooh, this podcast. Uh, Wait till we do our NASA show. Uh, it's all about snots. Uh, November 16th, Night of the Common is released just in time for Happy Christmas Time Viewing. Technically, it is a Christmas movie. It is a Christmas movie. It is set 11 days before the end of the Christmas shopping period. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they said on the radio broadcast from that Friday night. So yeah. And Hector comes... Yeah. Dressed as Santa with some presents yes. when he comes yeah. back from San Diego. There is, there is, uh, the radio station is is decked out in holiday stuff. There's Christmas and trees all over the place. It's just, it's Los Angeles, so it seems very odd because there's no snow and all the things you think of in movies is like, oh, it's Christmas time. Like, that's not happening. Well, Hector lovingly replaces the Christmas light that had fallen from in, the nail. In his mom's house. In his mom's yeah. house. Before yeah. he... Grabs a pillow sack like a common robber <laughs> and just grabs all the, the valuables and stuffs them in a sack before a little boy tries to eat him. Yeah. Which, the, when that door was knocking and it was that little boy, I thought it was going to be his mom. Yeah, we all did. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was worse. <laughs> it was a creepy little was boy. Was it? I mean. Kind of. That yeah. kid's face is, and the way he moved was super creepy. It was. He was good. Yeah, he was good. Uh, Night of the Comet would open third in box office for its opening weekend, competing with the debut of the Chuck Norris action movie, Missing in Action. Oh, God. That was the time when, and God bless him, you know, uh, Vietnam and, and, you know, 
yeah. all the people that went yeah. through it. But we had just this deluge of rescuing POWs yeah. Yeah. from Vietnam movies, culminating in a really great movie with Christian Bale and Steve Zahn, which was an actual story about the, the guy's... Uh, the one with the aircraft carrier at the end. Oh, God, what's that called? I know you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But that came out in like 2001. Yeah, that's why I said culminating. I mean, yeah. It was like, it took 30 years to get there to get to an actual real story. <laughs> right, right. But it took a lot of Chuck Norris and. and well, uh, and, uh, you know, Rambo did it. Well, that yeah, was yeah, Rambo First Blood Part 2 was what started the whole. Yeah. Let's go to Vietnam and save the POWs. They're still back there. Yeah. Somebody's got to get him, Jenna. He's going to be me. Missing in action was a complete ripoff of mm-hmm. the First Blood Part 2. Uh, look. I know that everybody loves Chucky, Chucky Norris, and he's Do the we? toughest man in the world. Do and we, we have all these Chuck memes about Chuck's beard can take on Santa's beard or whatever. Yeah. But let's be quite honest. Chuck was chasing uh, Stallone oh, yeah. for his entire <laughs> oh, yeah. effing career. Oh, yeah. Like, Stallone would make something, and then Chucky would make the B-movie knockoff. You know Chuck Norris would sit at home and go, but I know karate. I I'm know better karate. than him. No, he'd be at home, like, looking in the trades. Okay, okay. Sipping his herbal tea. <laughs> Uh, let's see, let's see. What's old uh, Stallone Baloney doing today? Oh, he's going to do it. Hey, agent, my, my uh, inferior agent, we got to do a movie about missing in action. Let's call it Missing in Action! Yeah. Uh, not as good as the sequel, Missing in Action 2. Electric, electric Boogaloo. No, it was actually a prequel. <laughs> so they actually set it in Vietnam. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we're not here this to is, talk about Chuck Norris. Uh, put me in my mind in the multiverse, baby. Uh, it was also the second weekend of Oh God, You Devil, starring George Burns, uh, but Night of the Comet opened third behind them. Oh God, You Devil. The Oh God movies were a, a, a strange phenomena. Yes. About. <laughs> yes, they were. <laughs> if you all don't remember, there was three movies where George Burns played God. Yeah. And John Denver played a hapless, I don't know. John Denver? <laughs> restaurant manager <laughs> yeah. or something. God, look, I need you to spread the word. I'm not going to help you at all. It's going to be very uncomfortable. But then I will may or may not show up at the end in this really weird trial about you <laughs> and God. And then we're going to make two more movies, and then I'm going to play God and the devil and really just jump the shock on that, baby. <laughs> but it's still going to make money, and it's still going to overshadow an amazing movie called Night of the Comet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Since, since then, Night of the Comet has gil- uh, gained a rabid cult following. As it should. Yes, it was definitely of the three, definitely the best movie. I love, I just want to go on record. I love this movie. I love this movie too. And uh, if we have time, we'll talk about some of the plot holes yeah. <laughs> at the end of the episode. Yeah, but I saw this in the theater. I yeah. was there. You know what I didn't see in the theater? Oh, God, you devil? No, I did actually, because I really liked <laughs> George Burns. I liked those movies. Sorry. I, I totally those misjudged movies. that. I was I a boy. Them. They were fun. They I love George Burns, yeah. and I believed in God back then. <laughs> Um, you didn't but, see Missing in Action. I didn't see Missing in Action. I wasn't a big fan of Chuck Norris. Chucky Boy. Yeah, yeah. He just seemed kind of like he had a lisp. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. He, maybe he did. I think he had I a don't lisp. Think... No, he has a little no. bit of a lisp. Yeah. Come on, Walker. He, hid, he hides it very well. He does, but he's fine. I really enjoyed sure. him in uh, in 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 uh, in the Bruce Lee movie. Oh, uh, Enter the Dragon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was good in Enter the Dragon? Yeah. He just always looks... Chuck... Okay, this, I'm going to stop after this, I promise. <laughs> but Chuck Norris just kind of looks like a guy who won a karate championship in the Valley, you know? And then he just <laughs> yes. kind of showed up on set, and they're like, man, put him in. 
Put him in the movie. He's just got that blonde, mustachioed, 70s karate look. Oh, yeah, totally. Everybody has. We have a friend who does karate, a little guy. Yeah. And he has that same mustachioed, blondy look, you know? You were very right in that Chuck Norris, his whole career, was riding the coattails of trends. (laughs) That's all it was. He got lucky, and, yeah, and he rode trends. I don't. The very first movie I ever saw in the theater was a Chuck Norris movie. I know. That's why you um, love him. Yeah, yeah. I I do. I have fond memories. Of, I like Lone Wolf McQueed. Uh, yeah. That one actually, <laughs> I don't even know. Really, I just love the title. My best friend Damien, uh, growing up. Literally, we would just yell that at each other. Lone Wolf <laughs> McQuaid! Lone Wolf McQuaid! Whenever it was like somebody trying to be tough, it was like, okay, Lone Wolf McQuaid, calm down. No idea what that movie's about, yeah, but one of my it. favorite titles of a movie Lone Wolf ever. McQuaid. Lone Wolf McQuaid. <laughs> I mean, there's so many possibilities there. Yes. <laughs> anyway, now away from the Chuck Norris hour, <laughs> moving on to Night of the Comet. Yeah. Uh, Night of the Comet started with writer-director Tom Eberhardt. Uh, Tom was a Los Angeles native, born in 1947. Yeah, and he's a TH, Tom. A Thom. Yeah, a th- yeah look, his parents said that. I mean, his parents did that. It's not when you're an adult, you could change your Thom to a Tom. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. It's your identity. I'm I not mean, a fan when, of the yeah. thom. Okay, it's Thoms. Tom. It's Tom. Mm, sure. Do you say Thomas? I do, actually. Okay. <laughs> of course you do. Henry Thomas <laughs> from Battle Beyond the Stars. When Tom was 21, he was a production assistant on Steven Spielberg's Amblin, which jump-started Spielberg's career. Yes, and he named his company after that. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Uh, Eberhardt would move into producing documentaries for PBS. He actually won a bunch of awards for doing documentary work. Uh, so now it makes sense. He's snooty. Snooty Thom. Mm, PBS <laughs> is my documentary. Snooty. Actually, to be honest, Tom, Tom is the hero in this story. <laughs> he really is. I don't know why I'm giving him so much crap. Is he still alive? Uh, yes. Yes, he is. He's retired, but uh, he's, he's alive. You're amazing, Thom. Yeah, he's okay, Tom. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, while working on uh, the, the documentaries for PBS, he continued to work on feature-length scripts for movies that he wanted to see. Nice. Yeah. One of these was a script called Soul Survivor, about a woman who survives a plane crash and ends up realizing she should have died and is chased by death. Weird. Um, I thought at first it was going to be kind of unbreakable-like, but then it turned into Final Destination. Really? Yes. Oh. It's essentially Final Destination, where she should have died in this plane crash, and she didn't, and then... So Death's trying to death correct the to mistake. Do. Yes, exactly. I'm coming after you, lady. Uh, oh, you should have died in that crick. I would crack? actually... Crash. In the crash. In the crick. In the crick <laughs> of the, in the crash. In the creek? Yeah. I'll drown you in the crick. I would say that Final de- Destination probably ripped this idea off. Maybe, or... Somebody had the same idea because that happens all the time. I mean, it happened much later. But... Yeah, I don't know if the Final Destination guys were gleaming in the you know early '80s uh... Uh, trunk of failed scripts. <laughs> hey, look, I found one by Thama. It was not a failed script. It was made into a movie. Oh, was it? And it was released in March of 1984. Well, I stand corrected. Seven months before Night of the Comet was released, uh, he shot on his own. He he wanted to make it his directorial debut, so he shot it in 28 days without permits in Orange County. It was released in March, uh, seven months before Night of the Comet. Did it do it? Did it do any box office biz? It did okay. Was it? But it wasn't. No, it was not. <laughs> it definitely was not. Uh, but it did set the tone that he very much shoots very cheaply, and uh, his stuff has a tendency to make money. He's very much the Roger Corman ish of of. Uh, 
And he's a fan of the strong female protagonist. He is, very much. Uh, while working on that script and shooting his PBS documentaries, he was working on a script about high schoolers surviving an apocalypse. What? Uh, as Jim said, he was a huge fan of a strong female protagonist. He was very much inspired by Ginger Rogers. Thought that she was odd. very strong. Odd. That's an odd... <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's I thought so odd. too. <laughs> I thought so too. I mean, no hey, offense, Ginger Rogers sure. and Fred Astaire, some of the greatest hoofers in the business. Tip, tip, tappity, taps. Yes, but uh, Ginger Rogers in an apocalypse. No, thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will and say, she tippity, tippity, tap, tap, taps all over the she the, the heads of the. She was just as good of a dancer as Fred Astaire, and she did everything backwards. Yes, I'm not saying she was not. She yes, Adam. Ginger Rogers was an incredible Ginger Rogers so much, and she was a much better dancer than I was going to say Fred Rogers, which is true. Yes, but uh, (laughs) although I don't know, I've never seen. But her hoofing skills don't translate into apocalyptic her survival skills. Characters were strong female characters. That is why he was inspired by her. Okay, that's that's all. We have to talk to Thong. All right, all right. <clears throat> he also had a love for the imagery of post-apocalyptic empty cities. This is what drove him to write this script. Uh, it could be the origins of his anti-consumerism nature of Night of the Comet. Ooh. Um, yeah. Much like there was a big thing in the 70s with, like, Dawn of the Dead, and there was a bunch of horror movies that were doing very much. Commercialism sucks. Yeah. And yeah. Well, it, it, it does. It does. <laughs> but <laughs> it you know really what? Kinda... I like stuff. I know. I know. <laughs> At the same time, so I, I want... can't be a hypocrite. I want to watch the movie that you're trying to make, and the only way I can do that is through commercial. To consume it. Yeah, yeah, you had to purchase the, the Blu-ray for us to watch this movie. I did. You had to be a consumer. I did. I, it's the only money I've spent on Night of the Comet. But it was nice to, to pop the old disc in. Yeah, it, it really was like a, it was a nice throwback. I haven't bought a new DVD or, or DVD. God, I sound like I'm 80. Uh, or well, a Blu-ray. A DVD. In, in I mean, forever. there's a DVD, there's a DVD in, it. in it. I know. It's just that I, I did the general calling everything home video DVD like my parents did with VHS back in the day. It's yeah. Like, yeah, that's not, it's not the same. Okay. I'm becoming old. Yeah, well, I think you are old. I think you've become. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, but buying Welcome. it was, Welcome buying it was oldness. nice because it was like, oh, there's commentaries, there's extra stuff. Like, it was nice to watch some of the extra yeah. things. When filming his, uh, while filming his PBS docs, he would ask the teenage girls he was filming what they would do during an apocalyptic event. Hey. <laughs> yes. Hey, girls. Yes. Come here. Come here. Hi, my name's Thom. I'm a director. You may know me from such PBS classics as Snooty Snoots and the Snooters and uh, How to uh, Not Be a Consumer. Anyway, look, ladies, ladies, I got a question for you. Sexy question. What would you do during an apocalypse? Most of them thought it would be cool and an exciting adventure. I thought it'd be cool and an exciting adventure. Uh, the only downside they see was when he would mention that the dating scene would have become non-existent. Hey, you know what, ladies? <laughs> I'm going to be the only one left. And uh, Pickens is slim, but I'm slim Pickens. It was uh, not true in Night of the Comet. <laughs> because no. there was definitely some romance happening. The thing about Night of the Comet that is so cool is it really does kind of have a reality to it with the teenage kids like yeah, the yeah, sister being sure. jealous that the yeah. her older sister who always steals her boyfriends gets the only guy left right you right. know the last man on earth you know that's so something it's, that people i think would identify with yeah for sure, there's know. a lot of really cool small moments in this movie that make yeah. it a great movie rather than just like a schlocky uh, totally you know, the movie yeah yeah uh so the girls responses helped him shape his main characters in the light tone in night of the comet 
Uh, Eberhart, Eberhart brought the finished script, which he called Teenage Mutant Comet Zombies, to Atlantic Teenage Mutant Comet Zombies, Teenage Mutant Comet Zombies, Teenage Mutant Comet Zombies, Comets on the Half Shell. Comet power! <laughs> couldn't change half shield to anything else. Nope. Uh, that was also, this was also released two years before that theme song came out, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> but the turtles were around, right? Uh, they were, but that theme song came out with the, the cartoon well, I know in 1989. It didn't come out with the comic book. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, didn't it? <sighs> right. You must think I am quite a fool. Quite a fool. Uh... <clears throat> So he sent the script to Atlantic Releasing Corporation. They loved the script. They wanted to invest $700,000 into it immediately. But the catch was that Tom Eberhardt wanted to direct the film, and he had very little experience, even though Soul Survivor was done but hadn't been released yet. What about my PBS stuff? Yeah. Well, he won awards for that. I mean, but it's like... Bad he, a cup of coffee, Adam. He wanted to have... Yeah. He wanted to have a career as a director. So the only way he could do that was to hold out. And eventually, uh, Atlantic Releasing said okay and, and allowed him to direct the film. Good. Yeah. I mean, I'm really I, glad. No, I mean, honestly, yes. I don't know if anybody else would have... Uh, they probably would have screwed it up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Atlantic Releasing Corporation Corporation wanted to capitalize on the success of Valley Girl, which they had released uh, the previous year, had cleared over $17 million in box office off a $350,000 budget. That's a great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. I haven't seen that in a long, long time. Started with uh, started old Nicholas Coppola's career. Yeah. yeah. Nick Cage. He became, he became Nick Cage. You're a Valley Girl. <laughs> I like you. Uh, they also liked the dark comedy nature of the script, hoping to capitalize on successes like Repo Man, Alex Cox- Cox's feature-length writing-directing debut. Such a great movie. Yeah. It's a great drive-in movie. That was the other thing. It was uh, Drive-ins were really big at the time, and they were trying, with Night of the Comet, to create a drive-in movie. So people would bring their friends in the giant car full of teenagers. And, right. Yep. To hedge their bets on the film's success, Atlantic Releasing Corporation asked Andrew Lane and Wayne Crawford, producers of Valley Girl, to produce Night of the Comet. Uh, Eberhardt had high hopes for Lane and Crawford as they had fought Atlantic Releasing Corporation on removing Martha Coolidge, who directed Valley Girl. Uh, they they wanted to replace her, and the two producers said, no, she's the, the, the director for us. Nice. And they relented and let them do it. It seems like Atlantic Releasing Corporation was like, hey, you guys know what you're doing. We're going to make this request. You say no. Okay, fine. Unfortunately, this was not the case with Tom Eberhardt and the producers as they clashed constantly during Night of the Comet. Uh, Eberhardt would later say that they did not understand the film and resented being assigned to such a low-budget B-movie. Oh, come on! Their movie was such a low-budget B-movie! A low-budget B-movie that was twice the budget of their previous movie. Yeah, come on, guys. <laughs> it's got the same sensibility. Somebody let the success get to their head. Just yeah, like you guys are jerks. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was kind of ridiculous that they, that they held up this way. In fact, they clashed so much that the producers actually tried to have Eberhardt fired off Night of the Comet. Uh, despite this, Tom Eberhardt, being a really stand-up dude, still praised their producing skill and has gone on record saying that the movie couldn't have been made without them. Now, you know, we could talk about, like, oh, they're jerks and whatever, yeah. but he's also a pretty green director, so maybe there was totally actual reason for this clashing, and then they got through it, and the movie ended up being yeah. okay. But yeah. I get it. I mean, you know, yes, they sound a little snooty. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's difficult working with green people. I mean, you know, I yeah. know. It's like yeah. it's not, you know, it, just because somebody has a lot of enthusiasm and ambition yeah. doesn't mean yeah. you know, that they know what they're doing. 
Well, and a lot of it too, I think, was that in the previous movie, I'm sure he did not have producers. And so it's a lot of letting go of responsibilities that they can do that it's hard as a, a one-man band oh, yeah. to be like, okay, you know. I mean, he's probably making decisions that are like, why didn't you run that by us? Well, you know, because or, it's also, yeah. when you are a one-man band and you do that for so long, you get into a rhythm and you know how to do things. Right. And it's hard to explain to people sometimes yeah. the method to your madness. Right, right. And, you know, it's it's also... It can slow you down sometimes when yep. they're like, whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, wait, what about this? And you're like, no, 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 I know what I'm doing. And they're like, well, no, I don't think you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. like, yeah. well. Yeah, but it seems, I mean, the movie turned out great. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know. Let's move on to casting. Uh, Catherine Mary Stewart plays Regina Reggie Belmont. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's, yeah, she was so fantastic in this movie. Uh, she actually got her big break in a movie called The Apple in 1980, a musical science fiction cult film. The movie was directed by Menahem Golan. Ah, from Golan and Globus? Yes, the Israeli producer who co-owned the Canon Group with his brother, Yolan Globus. Uh, Golan and Globus went on to produce a slew of comic book-style films in the 1980s, like Masters of the Universe, Superman IV, The Quest for Peace, Captain America, and an aborted attempt to bring Spider-Man to the silver screen. All horrible, horrible films. Horrible, <laughs> all of it, without, without exception. I, I have a soft spot for Masters of the Universe, but... Yes, uh, everybody does, but it's still a horrible it's film. It's not a good movie. Don't get me wrong. It's, not, it's definitely not a Masters of the Universe movie. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's something else masterful entirely. about it. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was goofy and bad. But yes, the Captain America movie was so atrocious. And uh, Superman 4 pretty much killed the Superman franchise for, like, 30 years. And almost killed Richard Pryor. (laughs) It almost did. That's true. Uh, So the movie The Apple was set in the far future of 1994 and is about a singer who signs on to an evil recording group called Boogaloo International Music, or Boogaloo, I guess. Boogaloo International Music. Uh, If this intrigues you in any way, the movie is streaming on Tubi and Pluto TV. Nice. Is she the singer? Yes, she she was actually in collagen uh, London at the time and had signed on to the in collagen in collagen. Yes, she was like in, in, in literally in a case? giant vat of collagen. Interesting. Yeah, and they just scooped her out. Yeah, to do just this to movie? play it. Yeah, no She's wonder she looks so beautiful, drippy yeah. in the movie. Yeah, Ugh, it's gross. <laughs> it was actually during this film that she became Catherine Mary Stewart. She was born Mary Nursall, but Golan hated her name so much he insisted that she change it. Ugh, I hate your name. I hate it. I hate your name. It's a... Uh, I'm only 19. Can you just back (laughs) off for a second? Change your goddamn name, lady. Okay. okay. I'll change it. Just stop yelling at me. (laughs) Get back to work. Yeah, so she took her mother's maiden name to make him happy. I mean, you know... You happy now? Are you happy? (laughs) You you were offered a part. I'm sure there was a lot of pressure. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a big movie. They, they At this point, the company had been around for like 15 years. They had a lot of hits. I mean, it's, well, it's Sure. Hard. I mean, everybody changed their name. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Everybody still name. does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shortly after this, she moved to Los Angeles and got a part on Days of Our Lives, where she appeared from the beginning of 1982 until the end of 83. And then she was cast in The Last Starfighter, which was released in July of 84. Oh, I love that movie. That uh, is such a good movie. Great movie. Uh we used to watch that a lot in at San Pasquale High School on rainy days. Oh, really? <laughs> like they would play it in play school? Play that movie <laughs> for some bizarre reason. Um, but yeah, I love that movie. That uh, We're definitely doing a show about that. Oh, but yeah. I think that – was that before uh, this or after? Yes, it, it was, was before this. That's kind of when I first saw her. Was like, Catherine Mary Stewart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she just Same. had that cool tomboy kind of, you know – 
not putting up with any ass yeah. kind of, yeah. you know, tough girl thing that just was very cool at the time. You know, it's yeah. very, it was different. It wasn't, you know, some blonde bombshell or, you know, some, ooh, uh, uh. she just looked like a real person, like <laughs> yeah. somebody you could be going to high school with. Yeah, she was. She she played a lot of very strong female characters. I mean, a lot of strong characters. The Last Starfighter also featured a character that was very good at video games, who then goes on to do great things, much like in Night of the Comet. And she is playing Tempest. Yeah. It, well, you know, in the other movie, he literally saves the universe. Yeah. And <laughs> this one, she just kind of buys and gets a bunch of crap for free because they're both. Dead. <laughs> but yeah, they're they're definitely comparable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> After Night of the Comet, she's gone on to do a lot of TV and TV movies. Her most notable part being featured in uh, what would be in 1989 in A Weekend at Bernie's. Hey, the Bernie's dead. But we got a big meeting. What are we going to do? Oh, let's create this elaborate scheme <laughs> to make it look like Bernie's still alive. Let's get to the hardware store and get a lot of ropes and pulleys. It's such a t- Terrible movie. So bad. And I love and, well, it so it, much. It, it too. So and it's bad. like, what an un... Like, who thought to to, to cast Jonathan Silverman and uh, two two really not very funny guys? No. You know, Jonathan Silverman's <laughs> kind of funny, but he's got he's just got that one note. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. you know, he's got that... Jonathan Silverman is like, well, if you can't get Seinfeld and you can't get Paul Reiser, <laughs> you might as well get Silverman. <laughs> Check box C for Jonathan yes. Silverman. Yes. <laughs> And then uh, Andrew McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy. He's yeah. so weird. He he also is very much like Jonathan Silverman. Is funny, he, but he's just so but pretty. He has and, that and one thing that makes him funny. And he, that's he, it. He's pretty and and blinky. You can't see, but my eyes are blinky. No, this, so this, much. Is, this is a an audio medium. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you could see me, it would be like, wow. I'm, it's like I'm it's looking like at Andrew, Andrew McCarthy, McCarthy in, in a weekend at Bernie's. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I was doing 86. Oh, you were doing 86 yeah, before he made it pretty big. and pink. Not the character that he played in Weekend at Bernie's, Chip McDougal. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to mark it now. If we get to the point where we do Weekend at Bernie's, Mm-mm. we should stop. We're not doing a Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> if we ever do an episode of Weekend at Bernie's, that'll be the last episode we ever do. Wow. You heard it here. Yeah. I'll, I love Weekend at Bernie's, don't get me wrong. Look, anyway. Let's be honest. We're probably going to do a Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, my God. We probably are. Uh, yeah, in Night of the Comet, Matthew. And I swear to God, if it's our last show, man, I'm killing myself. <laughs> Ah, I heard it here first. Uh, in Night of the Comet, Catherine Mary Stewart did almost all of her own stunts, except for the motorcycle riding, uh, except it, not the close-ups, obviously. The close-ups, she was on a truck. Now, can I tell a quick story? Yeah, please. So I used to run a casting suite at this, uh, like, head shop shop, mm-hmm. you know, this photography place. Down, down Hollywood? Uh, yeah, and then it moved to the Valley. Yeah. Oh, the, the absolute worst person I've ever worked for. So oh, yeah. Awful little bully. It's an awful little man. <laughs> um, but I, I loved the job. I just, what I would do is I would film actors doing an audition and I would yep. read the lines with them from yep. behind the camera. Um, and I was really good at it. I would, like, a lot of the people that came in would book <laughs> the jobs and yep. I would, they would come back and be like, thank you, whatever. It's not like I was great or anything. I just, I, I'm good at gold reading. Yeah. So I could, you know, give them a little something, something. So it wasn't just like, you know, them reading against a wall. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's I I think I'm going to kill you. 
I go, hey. Yeah, and they're crying and they're emoting, and it's just like, oh, baby, I just want to get it. I just want to do one. Please let me go. Are I, you so hurt? <laughs> what is yeah, wrong? Exactly. So I was a little better than that. So, yeah, yeah but, very much better than that. Come on. But we would get some, you know, quote unquote celebrities Names. that would come yeah. in. Uh, uh, Jaleel White, I nice. once did with him. I think you guys remember him as Urkel. Yeah. Very nice guy. Um, but <laughs> but it, it, he, the part he was going for was hard, man. And he was oh, really yeah. good, too. Yeah. He was really good. He's a great actor. He, should, he played uh, two different parts in that. Uh, Stephen Urkel <laughs> and Stephen Urkel. Or was, was it uh, Stefan Urkel? Stefan Urkel. Urkel. Excuse me. Yeah. Urkelites. You. Don't come after me, Urkelites. <laughs> But anyway, so she came in, and she was one of my first big crushes, oh, you yeah. know, and I was so in love with her. And and so she comes in, and I'm getting a little nervous, you know, because she's still absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, she yeah. hasn't aged a day, and, you yeah, know, not that it would be a yeah. problem if she did. Aging is what we do. Yeah, um, she's aged very well. I think Hollywood needs to, to get a little more, uh, you know, progressive on their a little more okay on their aging. So she comes in and we do this. The part was we were married <laughs> and we're arguing <laughs> about our son who had come out of the closet and I wasn't happy about it. Oh, and neither was my character. No, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wow. Uh, wow. Uh, but I was like, I went for it, man. Oh yeah. Because it was just like it's a once in a lifetime. Yeah, opportunity. Exactly. So I went for it. And I'm like looking her in the eyes. And I had done this scene a few times that day. So, you know, I pretty much knew it. Like I would get the stuff memorized because a lot of times you would, yeah. you know, you'd get yeah. 10 or 15 actors coming in doing the same part because, mm-hmm. you know, so you get really good. So by that time I was ready. Yeah. And, and we do the scene and, and, and it was great. And she's like. You must be an actor. And I was like, oh, my whole heart went. You became 15 again. She's like, thank you very much. That was, you know, you were very present. And I was like, we get the point. You were so good in the comment. I love you. I didn't embarrass myself, which was which was a feat. It's for me. It's always nice when uh, you do meet your quote unquote heroes and they're actually good people. It's I've had a pretty nice. good run with that. And yeah. even like the jerks seem to like me. So, you know, hey. whatever. Birds of a feather. <laughs> it takes one to know one, I guess. No, <laughs> yes. I don't know. No, anyway, so that's my. Anyway, that's awesome, though. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. That's so cool that you got to act with her. I did. That's pretty rad. I, well, quote unquote, yes. Yeah, I know, but still, you did. Well, what, what I, I did was I took the tape. Okay. And then I filmed and myself cut that doing out right it. here. And then I cut it together and, and, and put it in my reel. It was like, well, so you did a movie with Mary Sometimes he'd turn all the lights off. Yes. And just watch the scene alone yes. in his room. I did. I filmed my part with my shirt off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> All right, uh, Kelly Maroney as Samantha Sam Belmont. She was so good. She was absolutely incredible. She's one of those people that in the movie you're like, no, oh, she's just going to be that valley girl. Mm-hmm. But she shows such depth and range in yeah. this movie. It's fantastic. She looks very stereotypical 80s, mm-hmm. you know, a little cheerleader blonde. But, uh, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of shit going on with that family. Oh, the yeah. Stepmom yeah. and the dad and the slapping and the abuse. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she actually started her career on the soap opera Ryan's Hope, appearing in 319 episodes. Most actors got their starts on soaps. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was a big thing, especially back in the 80s. Well, because they were all New York actors, and soap shot out of New York, and, you know, people, it was like, oh, throw them on a soap. I mean, basically anybody could get work, you know. All the snoots, all the snooty actors are like, I don't want to do commercials or soap operas or television. (laughs) I just want to do flims. I don't like to make money. (laughs) Okay. Okay. But not our not our friend Kelly Maroney. No, Kelly Maroney did. She wanted to act. She did. She did some good acting in Ryan's Hope. She's perhaps most well known for playing Cindy in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And we're gonna beat them, right? Yeah, she was the head cheerleader. <laughs> you know, guys, yeah. it's really hard getting up here in front of everybody and doing da 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 da. It was so great. It's such a different she's character. Fantastic. I mean, yes. she's literally playing the same like cheerleader, same type. Yeah, but, but hundred and totally degree different. difference yes. between the characters. You would on paper they're both just cheerleaders, but they are so different. I didn't even um, realize she was the one from Fast Times. Yeah, yeah, she's so fantastic. Uh, after Night of the Comet, she appeared in Chopping Mall and a slew of B movies. Uh, Chopping Mall is one of my favorite horror movies. That's great, but what a shame! She was such a good. Yeah, she didn't. She's done a lot of TV stuff. She had a very long TV career, appearing in guest parts on like Simon and Simon. They are brothers, you know, Simon she, and Simon. They, they, they solve crimes. And they solve crimes. Okay, <laughs> sometimes that's they, what that was. They weren't just named Simon. No, no, they were Simon and Simon. That was right. the name of the detective agency. Simon and Simon. Simon, ampersand, ampersand. Simon. Simon. Are they both named Simon? Their first yeah, name's they're, Simon? they're brothers, dude. Their last name is they're, Simon. Oh, it's, I thought their first name was Simon. Booby and Booger Simon. That was their names. That's why they went by Simon and Simon, because they okay. didn't like their first names. Their dad <laughs> was a jerk. He was a clown. Him? Yes. <laughs> dad was a circus clown named Booby and Booger, tried to uh. get him into the... But his dad was uh, sadly eaten by a bear during a performance in a Russian zoo. They did like a like a, a crossover where they sent some American clowns to Russia and some Russian clowns to America, like a like an exchange program. And his dad, they're Simon and Simon, Booger and... This uh, uh, <laughs> has absolutely nothing to do with Night of the Comet. <laughs> Their dad got eaten by a bear, okay. and they were like, well, we got to solve crimes So now. she also appeared on True Blood. <laughs> now, True Blood. Uh, is, is that the, okay. Uh, and Tim and Eric, awesome show, great Who job. Who was she on True Blood? Uh, she was one of the, she was like a pastor or something. Huh. I don't remember. I, I wrote it. I need to look it up because I'd like to yeah. see what she looks like now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and she was on uh, Tim and Eric Awesome Show. Great job. I'm sure she I saw good. that. Yes. I love that show. It was a great show. Uh, Heather Langenkamp of Nightmare on Elm Street fame actually auditioned for this part of Sam and actually read with Catherine Mary Stewart before the part went to Kelly. Good. And no offense to... Heather Langenkamp, but she's not a good actress. Um, I haven't really seen her much, so it's hard to say. I've I... seen her in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. <laughs> she's not a good actress. She does not have the depth. That... She does not have the chops. Okay. But All she's right. good at getting chops. Kelly Maroney is a better actor. 100%. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe Heather Langenkamp <laughs> is better now. As she's older. I don't know. I haven't seen her She lately. She actually mostly does uh, visual effects now. Really? Yeah, she does a lot of creature makeup and stuff. Oh, like very that. cool. All right. Yeah. Way to pivot. Yeah. You made a good decision, yeah. Heather Langenkamp. She took something. She she started on with all the stuff in the horror movies and then literally turned into another career. It was, uh, yeah. Good choice. Yeah. She was smart. She good, was smart. good for her. Uh, Robert Beltran is Hector Gomez, or as they say in the movie, Hector. Hector. <laughs> Robert's big break 
came from landing the title character in the dark comedy Eating Raoul by Paul Bartel. There's a few Eating Raoul alums in this. There theme. are, actually. There's there's quite a few. Um, uh, just before Night of the Comment, he co-starred... I just said it, Night of the Comment. <laughs> yep. You're going to do it again. <laughs> just before Night of the Comment, he co-starred in the Chuck Norris action film Lone, Lone Wolf, Wolf McQuaid! Yeah. It all comes back. Oh, it man. all comes back. I'm Lone Wolf McQuaid. Seriously. I'm seriously so, Lone Wolf McQuaid. Now, I know two things about Lone Wolf McQuaid, that it's called Lone Wolf McQuaid and that Robert Beltran is in it. But if he's a lone wolf, he can't have any I, friends. I think Robert Beltran played the villain. He initially turned down the role of Hector as he didn't want to play his, the character as written, which he thought made the character a stereotypical cholo, as he called it. <laughs> which probably was, because white writers back then were yeah. not very racially sensitive. And, no. you know, the black guy was a pimp. Yeah. The Mexican guy was a gangbanger, you know, yeah. you know, wearing a zoot suit or something ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and the woman needed to be rescued. Uh, you know, there was yeah. a lot of uh Yeah. So it was good that, that uh you know that the director realized this and it was more collaborative. Yeah, yeah. That's the at the end of the day, uh, Everhart was more about the collaboration and said, "Yes, please, like personalize the role." I, he understood that he was not a, a person of Hispanic origin, so he's like, "Please make it your own." Robert Beltran had has been active in the Los Angeles theater scene for years, uh, helping burgeoning actors by putting on a ton of Shakespeare to those who wouldn't normally get the chance. Ugh. Yeah, boring. A lot of Shakespeare. He's a theater I'm actor. Kidding. Shakespeare's right. great. Uh, he actually uh, co-founded a uh, East LA production theater production company that helped uh, people in risk. Uh, Robert Beltran is a very good person. Uh, after Night of the Comet, he starred in Paul Bartel's follow-up to Eating Raoul, Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills. Good movie. As well as Bugsy and Nixon. I have not seen Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills, and after seeing Robert Beltran in this, I do want to see him in more stuff. And I've not, I haven't seen Eating Raoul either. Really? Yeah, I need to see that. Yeah, yeah. It's about cannibalism. It's another one that I think we should cover um, at some point. Well, it was a very big indie hit. Yes. Yes. Uh, he most recently, Robert Beltran most recently, was on two seasons of Big Love, season three and four. Wasn't he also on one of the Star Trek shows? Um, oh, yes, he was. Uh, he's had a ton of success on TV, appearing in guest stars on a ton of TV shows, as well as starring and winning awards for his performance on Star Trek Voyager. <clears throat> Voyager. Um, <laughs> God. <laughs> I thought we were done with that. We're never done with Voyager. Oh, God. All right. You know, um, they just, they were, they're still talking to V'ger, you know, 40-something years later. I saw yeah, that article. Yeah. And it's doing weird crap that they can't. They can't figure out why. Mm. It's, it's sending back weird data. It's full-on becoming V'ger from Star Trek The Motion Picture. I'm not saying aliens, but aliens. I'm just saying it's going to get, it's going to have it consciousness. Okay. And it'll be called... It'll be sentient. V'ger. V'ger. I am V'ger. I must destroy the galaxy to find my missing letters. <laughs> Sharon Farrell is Doris. Reggie and... St- uh, Sam- wow. Sharon Farrell as Doris, Reggie and Sam's stepmother. Uh, Sharon is a native Iowan who regularly worked in film and TV, most notably in Larry Cohen's cult horror film It's Alive in 1974. It's Alive. And Hawaii Five-0 from 1977 to 1980. She looks exactly like a stepmother from the 80s. I mean, there could not be a yes. better representation of a stepmother in the 80s <laughs> than her in Night of the Comet. Yeah, not hiding the fact that she's banging the neighbor and while the dad's yes. away. But just her look. Yeah. I yeah. mean, she just 
stripped 80s stepmom. Yeah. That's yeah. my Night of the Comment. <laughs> After Night of the Comment, she played the mother in Can't Buy Me Love, uh, which is one of my favorite movies. Which she looks completely different. She, she doesn't, does. you know, she's not such a tart. Don't tart it up like she was. No. I mean, it's a much smaller part, but it's... Well, That's a great movie, too. We're going to have to cover all of his... Oh, teen yeah. movies, all of the nerd that becomes sexy, boy, Mc, yeah. McDreamy. Before he was McDreamy, he can't, was McNerd. Can't Buy Me Love and uh, uh, that pizza. The Gigolo movie. <laughs> uh, pizza, pizza, on my, pizza on my crotch, I think it was called. <laughs> yes. Eat, eat my butt pizzas. Eat my butt pizzas. Uh, it was uh, like the something lover or something, wasn't it? Or like... I don't remember. We've actually, in a previous episode, had to look this up before. Yeah, <laughs> I don't Can't remember. Buy Me Love and then... Uh, I actually one of uh, Lover Boy, uh, Lover Boy. That's there what it go. was. Uh, but one of my favorite movie of his from the eighties was, uh, I think it was just called Run, if I remember right. Uh, about he was uh, trying to deliver a car and he ends up going into an illegal, like an under underground uh, uh, poker thing, mm. and ends up killing a mob boss's oh, son yeah. by accident. I loved that movie. I don't know why. It is one of those that it like it is it, because it's it, well, it happened as, to you as you, soon as you, the accident had starts it just goes yeah he starts yeah. to run and he, he just does. doesn't stop it was a great well, you killed a couple of Iowan mob bosses accidentally yeah they were Amish yeah when you were when you were a Ute yeah in, in it Iowa. was an accident yeah, yeah, he, yeah. they just they they ate the poison I hate to tell you this but my fists are lethal weapons oh boy yeah. you and Chuck North. <laughs> Mary Waranov is Audrey White. She's awesome. Now, Mary Waranov is fantastic. She first appeared as one of Andy Warhol's superstars, as he called them, dancing and acting in his films. Oh, yeah. What a great experience, man. Just being part of the, you know, that scene. You yeah. Know, being part of the, the workshop or whatever he called it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I don't remember what it was called, but I, I went to uh, when we were in Pittsburgh. I went to the Andy Warhol Museum, and it was fascinating. I learned so much more about Andy Warhol than I ever knew. Oh yeah, he's amazing. Mary Warnov frequently appeared with Paul Bartel of Eating Raoul, having played his wife in seventeen different movies. Wow, they should just get married already. <laughs> she appeared in a ton of cult films like Lloyd Kaufman's Silent Night, Deadly Night in 1972, and Death Race 2000 in 1975. She's got a very 70s look to her. Oh, She looks just like a 70s lady, you know? And she's just got this kind of like tough girl vibe. Just, you know, you just see her smoking cigarettes and drinking a scotch. I don't know. She just seems very kind of like no nonsense to me. Totally. She worked with Roger Corman quite a bit, uh, and uh, Robert Beltran actually suggested her for the part. She was great. Yeah, she was fantastic in it, yeah. I mean, the second she gets on screen, she's it's magnetic. It's just like, okay. Well, these Dharma Initiative folks <laughs> in the movie, because they have pretty much the same symbol uh, yeah, yeah. as Lost, you know, yeah. for their for the... It, was it called the Dharma Initiative? It was the Dharma Initiative. Was it called the Dharma Initiative? Yeah, um, on Lost, yes, it yes. was the Dharma Initiative. Uh, and it was similar. It was the octagonal shape, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it was also kind of had this weird, very similar yeah. vibe to it that yeah. maybe... You know, Carlton Cuse was like, oh, really? Maybe he was I, a huge Comet fan. I, it's very possible. To, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, it's part of the same universe, man. Maybe yeah. it's canon. But uh, but she just... The cool thing about that whole group is they're these scientists who are just desperate to survive. And she realizes the futility of the survival yeah. and just doesn't want to go along with it. And then... She has that great monologue in the uh, 
radio station, which I believe, didn't she improvise She, she improvised most of it. Yeah. 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 Just it, goes to show. Just more of Tom Eberhard being like, yes, if you feel it, do it. And, and she's such a great actor. Like, it's, yeah. It's well, he great. trusts the people he's collaborating with. Yeah. You know, he's a collaborator, which makes it seem weird to me that the producers were so, you know, keen on getting him fired. I, I'm I'm guessing that it's because they probably had different visions for the movie. And he's like, yeah, I'm still directing this. Like, you're helping me make it, you know. I mean, and granted, that's all conjecture. I don't really know. But And look, hey, Valley Girl's a really fun movie, but it's not breaking all of the no. stereotypes and norms. And, you know, it's no, basically no. Romeo like, and Juliet yeah. with a dude from the Valley. Right. And, a, you know, I guess a girl from the Valley and a dude from the Bari. I don't know where Nick Cage, I don't know where he's from. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's the wrong side of the Valley, apparently. Uh, Jeffrey Lewis is Dr. Carter, the leader of the Dharma Initiative think tank. Uh, he may look familiar as he's, as he's appeared in over 200 films and TV shows. Yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. He's, a lot yes. of Clint Eastwood things. He's one of those character actors that you recognize his face all the time. I had no idea his name was Jeffrey. No, Jeffrey. 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 Yeah. Jeffrey. It just doesn't seem to fit him mm, at all. Let's cast Jeffrey, Clint. Uh, yeah, he works with Clint Eastwood a lot, as well as Robert Redford. Jeffrey. Jeffrey's really good. <laughs> he's so, he's so good. I I I love him as a character actor and everything. Oh, yeah, he's, he's amazing. He's a journeyman. He's one of those guys that's always good, always solid. That's why he worked all the time. All the one time. of the unsung heroes that you know his face. One of the guys like, did we go to high school together? Yeah, you yeah. know that probably gets that a lot. Yeah, but it's just every I've he's like I tell you know. I've told you that there's like actors that I glom onto, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and when they're bad guys, I want them to be good guys. Yeah, he's one of the guys, and I distinctly remember him from the any which way but loose, and any oh, which yeah. way you can. The 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 orangutan <laughs> movies with Clint Eastwood, two of his greatest movies. By oh the yeah, way. oh yeah. Glide, left turn. Um, but he was like the trainer for uh, because I don't know. Do you? I, I'm just going to go quickly. On go this. for it. Uh, so Clint Eastwood is a bare knuckle brawler. Mm-hmm. With, uh, and I think a truck driver, maybe? And he definitely drove a truck, yes. And his best friend is Clyde, an orangutan. And he's got his mother or grandmother played impeccably by uh, uh, the woman from Harold and Maude. But if you have a chance, these movies are so ridiculous. But you have to see them right. because there was this time where you just, everybody made movies with monkeys or orangutans <laughs> or primates. Tony Danza made that great ape, that ape movie with... with uh, with uh, with Danny DeVito and it was just him and apes and they like what they, they had all the they, they they got these apes inherited them from their family Wait, in the this, circus. This or was a real movie. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. It you, was you not just not one of no. Your, it's not okay. one of my make em ups. <laughs> this is real. There was this time where they just made so many primate movies with wow. big stars. Wow. And this was the best of the bunch. <laughs> any which way you can, any which way but loose. But loose yeah. Uh, Michael Bowen playing Larry Dupree uh, in Night of the Comment. Uh, he appeared as Nick Cage's romantic rival in Valley Girl. Yeah, he was the soch or whatever they called them in that. Yeah, you know, yeah. The preppy. Yeah, the prep, yeah, yeah. Uh, after Night of the Comet, he appeared on Lost and Breaking Bad. There seems to be a theme going on <laughs> yes. with this. Uh, 
he was actually related to the Carradines and Martha Plimpton. I could see it. So the film had to be shot quickly and cheaply. All of the actors knew this and did their best to not waste time. When Do we s- some of them, they understood, you know, they got it. And then plus, I think they trusted Tom. I think at the end of the day, they, they trusted him. Uh, when Samantha is arguing with her mother, Sharon Farrell actually slaps Kelly Maroney. Uh, Kelly didn't feel like the fake slap was working, so she asked Sharon to slap her for real. Nice. And Kelly didn't want to waste any more time trying to get the shot. It looked real. And she looked really. Real. It was. It, and then she punches her. This is what's so yeah. effed up, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> so she slaps Kelly. The stepdaughter, and yeah. the stepdaughter slaps her back because rightfully so. Right, and then she decks her, punches she her right in the face, punches her, knocks her down, and her response is, "Wait till I tell Dad." Yeah, <laughs> she's like, "Get out of here! You're ruining my party. I'm gonna go get, I'm gonna go have the neighbor's fingers inside of me." <laughs> so, <laughs> Eberhardt did allow Im- improvisation, as we talked about. Mary Warnov and her scene in the radio, the radio station, plus Sam's line about the Uzis uh, when the Mac Ten jams and yeah. shooting the car. Dad would have gone as soon as Yeah, it's she literally. That was all her. She was like, "Well, this isn't working," and so she finished the scene. Nice. It's all. I bet you she improvised that line too, where she's like, "The drinking age is ten. Oh, you yes. gotta go. She gotta show ID. Let's be real." Oh, she totally did. She totally did. Yeah. Uh, she was very quick, quick on yeah. her feet. Yeah, uh, Eberhard. Uh, all the desolate LA shots were filmed on regular business days, just really early in the morning while traffic was stopped at lights. Go 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 yeah. go go yeah. go 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 go! Hundred percent. Set up. Set up. Set up. Set up. And there was no painting out cars. There was no. no you had to get the shot, or you didn't get the shot. You yeah. know, it was yeah. it. You know, and then they had that weird kind of orangey effect. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. They. I'm. Yeah. Uh, the waving clown. Very that effective, you see? though. Oh yeah, hundred percent effective. Yeah. Uh, the waving clown that you see is the same clown from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Wait, what are you talking about? There's a clown in the, des- the desolate LA shots where he's in front of like an auto parts store or something, but he's waving, and it's literally the same clown from the beginning of Pee Wee's Big Adventure. That's I crazy. I believe it was rented from the same company. Oh, so it's an animatronic clown. <laughs> yes, okay. yes, the one that he attaches the bike to that then gets stolen. Right, right, right. And right. it's very evil. <laughs> Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, laughing at him. Yeah. Ooh, that was yeah. creepy when you did that. Thank you. <laughs> David Richard Campbell scored the film. Uh, he's worked on over 450 gold and platinum albums by artists of a wide range of genres, including... Rush, Ariana Grande, Harry Styles, Muse, Michael Jackson, Aaliyah, Evanescence, Beyonce, Aerosmith, Goth Brooks, and various albums by his son Beck. Ooh, that means he's a Scientologist. Yes. Ugh. Damn it. <laughs> trying to slip that in the end there, realizing, because I didn't know who he was, and it was like, oh, his son is Beck. Okay. I love Beck. I love him. But I do not want to know about... No, no, no. I don't... Look, Beck was... It's got to be hard for these kids that yeah. are raised in the church. If, if you're, you're born raised into it, and yeah. born into it, it's yeah. got to be tough to get out of that stuff. I get it. I get I, it. They they definitely don't get out of it, but they don't talk about it either, which is, and for quite me, frankly, I'm like, fine. And I don't mean to be a jerk, but I don't see any real difference between Scientology and any other religion. It's all no. basically the no. same. I mean, they have the same kind of beliefs and tenets and whatever. Sure. They just call it something else. Yeah, yeah, no, totally agree. He also has scored over 80 films, including uh, Annie in 2014, Foxcatcher, August Osage County, Rock of Ages in 2012, Dreamgirls, North Country, Brokeback Mountain, and he uh, worked on Scott Pilgrim vs. the World with Nigel Goodrich. Great movie. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. Night of the Comet was one of the first films to be released with the new PG-13 rating. Thanks a lot, Um, Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. 
so when the movie was released, it had mixed reviews from critics, but went on to make $14.4 million in box office from a $700,000 budget. That is a success, my friends. It is a success. In today's money, that would be a $2 million budget, making $40 million. Yeah. Now, compare this to the recent news that Everything Everywhere All at Once, the movie and about the multiverse, uh, that just became A24's highest grossing film with just over $50 million. That's crazy. It wasn't a runaway success, but it was definitely a quiet success. And it made a lot of money off of a very definitely. small budget. They yeah. got their money back. Uh, and at, when the movie was released, uh, actually released on VHS, uh, Neil Gaiman reviewed Night of the Comet for Imagine Ma- Magazine and stated that it was... One of the most amusing, witty, imaginative, and thought-provoking films I've seen that was made with no budget and is also cheap exploitation. You got all that? <laughs> you know Neil, Ga- Neil Gaiman is British. <laughs> Not my version. <laughs> uh, Night of the Comet was released on VHS and Betamax video cassette and CED video disc on August 30th, 1985. Nice. Uh, a second VHS printing happened in 1990. Uh, it's gained a huge cult following as the, the became more popular on home video. Uh, Joss Whedon actually has said that it heavily influenced, uh, he was heavily influenced by Samantha when creating Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The go. movie. The movie, yeah. Not the series. Yes. But, uh, yeah, no, seriously, it, that movie, I remember seeing it in the theater and was blown away, and I would rent it all the time. I just thought that movie was fun. It was just a different type of apocalypse movie. You know, we saw yeah. Omega Man, yeah. and we saw, you know, there weren't a lot of post-apocalyptic movies up until then. There was, like, Planet of the Apes series. There yeah. was Omega Man. There was, you well, know, and, and Terminator. Like- but. A lot of them were about, like, nuclear annihilation, Mm -hmm. which was just depressing. Yeah, and they were all, you know, very serious or very action-y. And this had more of a sense of humor and more of an in-depth – I mean, it wasn't, you know, a a super in-depth emotional retelling. But there were nice little quiet moments where you got to see the pain, you know, when when Kelly's talking about her friends at school. You know, and then yeah. how they were, you know, she there was this boy that she liked and he was really cute. And she starts crying because she, she, she realizes it's out. all over. Yeah. 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 It's it's a great it's a great monologue. It's a great scene. I mean, but that's the thing is that the movie doesn't need to go in depth like that because you see those moments. Mm-hmm. You understand that they're living through that and they're doing that. And they're teenagers. You know, they're going to they're going to kind of roll with the punches. You know, yeah. they're 80s teenagers, too, man. I mean. We were all latchkey kids. We, we could take care of ourselves pretty well. The thing yeah. about Gen X, you don't hear a lot about us because we're good at just kind of hiding in the corner and letting shit happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, we just <laughs> sit there with our California coolers and our, <laughs> you know, and our backwood smokes and just uh, kind of watch everybody ruin the world and then be like, told you, yeah. see, jerks, you ruined it. Well, where were you all this time? Oh, I was out back having a smoke. Well, there was there was actually a comment at the beginning when she's playing the the video game and the the or the manager or whatever is yelling at her. Another great know. character actor, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and and how it gets, this is your generation, and, just, and I was just like, no, oh, yeah, they're talking about us. Yeah, that's, that's nice. It was cute. Uh, which added uh, also uh, something I didn't add in the script, but. Uh, DMK, the ending mm-hmm. that they did with DMK pulling up and realizing that it's DMK, although she doesn't really realize it's him. But the only reason he included that was not in the original script. The only reason he included that was because through the entire production process, everyone kept asking who DMK was. Yeah, exactly. You can't set that up 
and then yeah. let it go. Yeah. And so many movies let things hang and yeah. don't pay off. And then everybody's talking about, well, what happened to that guy? Right, what happened to her? Right. Why did he talk about Boogie to Goo? You know, it's just, you know, you got you to gotta pay off the things that you set yeah. up, baby. Yeah. And, it, and in this case, it paid off really well because, you know, Kelly, or Kelly, Sam, was so sad because they, you know, her sister gone off in this family unit. Like, suddenly she has an instant family. And there should Sam's have been a alone. reaction from yeah. her sister. that was like, DMK, no! I, or I something agree. funny I that agree. was like, you know, pointed it out. But I like that it yeah. was so subtle. But, you know, I guess she'd, I guess she'd been through so much that maybe she forgot about DMK. Maybe DMK doesn't matter anymore. And, uh... Just a little technical thing. Um, you know, when you play video games back in the 80s <laughs> okay. and you get your high scores, you don't, uh, you know, become number seven and then wipe out number seven. <laughs> number seven goes down to number six. Number six to five, five, four, blah, 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 B until well, you the drop way. them all yeah. down. You know what I'm six talking about. Six goes to you seven. Know you yeah. know what I'm saying. You're, you're, you're pushing them out. She would have had to have played four more times. Yeah, exactly. But they didn't want to do that, so they just made it cheap. But that's the thing. Gamers know, and they get mad. I like that that's your problem with the movie. Oh. When when the fact that they hid inside steel things. Steel? But here's the thing, and this is something I had to look up because I didn't understand this rewatching it. The reason that the people in the think tank started going crazy and losing their memory. Because they had the... Because they forgot to close the ventilation. Yeah, she mentions that in the movie. Did everybody, everybody that stayed in a steel, the steel cage or whatever had no ventilation? Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. The uh, <laughs> oh, come on, it Adam. makes no sense. The shed had no ventilation. And, yeah, and, and uh, she would have been dead in the morning. Well, you know, famously, pro- steel projection booths of the forties. So many projectionists would just die of suffocation because there was no ventilation in the room. Yeah, it was crazy. And it doesn't. That's it, why they it, unionized. You know it that. Also, right? also implies at the end when it rains and it washes all the red stuff away out of the sky and on the ground that it implies that the whole time they were out there they were getting infected with this comet, and then it just never affected them. No, you needed to be infected with the comet passing. <laughs> okay. You needed to get the initial radiation or whatever. Yeah, let's just say <laughs> let's just call it radiation. <laughs> Simplify. It doesn't make sense. And look, again, I love this movie. And mm-hmm. it's, this is all stuff I did not realize until watching it again. Well, yes. It's, uh, but it was only because I know the movie and I was able to analyze the The hardest more. thing about writing movies like this is you get through like your first draft and you get all the stuff that you like in it. And then you got to justify everything. Then you right. got to find reasoning right. for stuff. And then you get to the point where you're like, you know what? This is a silly comet movie about two teenage girls, you know, surviving the apocalypse and going to the mall. Let's not worry so much about ventilation and all that stuff. But I get you, man. I mean, you know, I never, but but I never thought about it. Yeah. I mean, that's the point is that uh, unless you watch this movie repeatedly, it's like, what do you, you know, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It doesn't matter. It gets to the point, like, we've watched all these, the reason why we get picky it's because we've seen those movies so many times yeah. that the fun part is is just to kind of make fun of them now. You got, yeah. you know, it's like these movies have become part of our family, and yeah. you tease yeah. people in your family because you're so close to them because you love them so much. Exactly, and it's not because if we didn't love these movies, we just wouldn't talk about them. Yeah, we wouldn't do a show about them. We wouldn't right. waste an hour of your time. All right, I don't. Us. I think I don't think we need to keep justifying how much we love our movies that we watch. I think we do. 
All right. In October 2018, Orion Pictures hired Roxanne Benjamin to write a sci-fi horror remake of the movie. No. Uh, this was after – they were actually talking about doing sequels, but it became in the 90s Tom Everhart realized that uh, they didn't know who owned the rights. As of April 2019, Benjamin confirmed she had submitted her script to the remake of, uh, of the remake to Orion. Uh, no other news since then, most likely due to the pandemic, and, and hopefully not. I Don't mean, remake it. Don't. It's a great movie. And and it doesn't need to be remade. No. And if you want to do a sequel, I would. I would. You got to get them all back. Yeah, you got to yeah. get them all back. And you can because they're all luckily still alive. Yeah, the well, only the, the only one that's not is is uh, Jeffrey Davis or yeah. Jeffrey. Jeffrey died in the movie. Yeah, so did. Oh, you he know, did. You don't bring Warnos right. back. They all die. You know, yeah, Warnos. His last shot. It's not Warnos. Warnos. Warnos is the no serial no. killer. Eileen Warnos. Mary um, Warnos. Mary Warnoff. You can't bring her back either because she died. But yeah. you could bring them back and you got, you know, here's, okay. All right, Hollywood. Here's your sequel, okay? So it's however many years later. What are we, 30, 40 years later? Jesus. And, For, almost 40. Oh, my God. Okay. So you got, you know, the kids have grown up now. The yeah. kids are in their 50s, I guess. And maybe they've had kids. Yeah. Uh, and these kids want to find, you know, they're sick of living in Los Angeles. They've got this great setup. They all have mansions. They, yeah. you know, they go down to the mall. They figured out power. They've put together this food and how to. Not oh yeah, have a, like they have a great little uh, garden, and you know they have chickens and stuff that they found. So they have a great little utopia. But the grandkids, they just they need more. They can't just stay here with their parents and their grandparents, as cool as they are. Yeah. Hector and and Kelly and and. Uh, Catherine Reggie Reggie <laughs> Reggie you know so they take off but they get captured by this group of uh you know zombie type of people mutants zombies. that have kind of yeah. evolved over the last 40 years into kind of their own gross Society. civilization yeah. yeah so we got to get the oldies to go rescue the youngies we got the whole thing bing bang boom thing writes itself you're welcome, Hollywood. There's that's your a, sequel. That's a very similar to I Am Legend. And we call it Knights of the Comet. And it's K-N-I-G-H-T-S. Uh, okay. And on that note, <laughs> we're out of time. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Welcome to the Gen X. Fowms. Fowms? <clears throat> well, I mean, you had to, because it also was, he handled it. The thing about, beep, 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 nap, 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 nap. Okay. Let's reset. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, Goober and the Gooks Chasers, already in progress.